Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I am so excited to be here today for a special guest episode where I have the privilege and pleasure of talking with Maureen Kane. Really want to welcome you to the podcast. And it's so exciting because you're my first guest. Which, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. It's so exciting. And also, that's usually a sign that the first guest will return. So oh. I'm very hopeful for that. Welcome, Maureen. She is a licensed mental health counselor. I'll have you introduce a little bit about yourself. I know you're in Washington State. I'm here in Maine. So we're across the coasts. And I'm really excited about our conversation that is going to thread through a bunch of topics with the central theme around creativity, stress, and the body. And we're going to do some experiential exercises. We're going to look at creativity. I'm super excited for Maureen to share her special experience with creativity. And she has a, a published book of poetry and she's a licensed practicing therapist and a supervisor and a speaker. And so without further ado, Maybe you can tell us a little, Maureen, about you and your practice and who you are. Oh, sure. Thank you. So, yes, I practice in Washington and Idaho. I'm in private practice. And then I have associates that I work with who have their own businesses, but we work closely together. And I work a lot in anxiety, trauma, panic, medical trauma, life changes, kind of a whole basket of things. So I try to create a big toolkit to fit what each client needs or what they're into. Mm. Oh, and I'm also an EMDR consultant. So I oh, wow. into my practice too. How did you get to your specialty of anxiety, panic, medical trauma? A lot of experimentation <laughs> as we all do as we grow. And then really heeding the advice that I want to do this work for a long time. So what do I need to not burn out, to be excited and invigorated? So I went against the advice that you hear in marketing a lot, which is to niche. So I've just, just chased the modalities that excite me, the treatments that excite me, and the kind of people I click with. And it seems to be falling into those categories. So wow. I don't get bored. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so beautiful. What a gift to not get bored at <laughs> our jobs, right? Yeah, right? I loved how you said that the modalities that excite you share a little bit of what those are. You mentioned EMDR. Tell us about the range. Well, I came to EMDR a little bit later and the, the training that I, that I happen to get which I love is weave everything you do into EMDR. So it was very like be eclectic, be meet the client with where they are, with their imagery, with what they need. So I do CBT like everybody. Um, mm -hmm. I do some lifespan integration. I do dream work, creativity stuff, EMDR. I'm always looking for 
new and interesting things to meet people with wherever their psyche is coming from. Yes. So you really stay close to the client, as I call it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We had a little conversation before, and you were talking about how similar to myself you like to share with your supervisees and your consultants being an authentic therapist, being Mm -hmm. an authentic therapist. What does what does that mean to you? How does that make sense for you as a therapist? Yeah. Well, I want to let me back into it with two stories that I think will answer your question. Um, Wonderful. These are stories that I tell my supervisees and people who are in school as well. So early in my career, I opened my practice and I was charging money. (laughs) And so I needed to fix people, right? Because they were paying me money and they needed to walk away feeling better. So (laughs) much pressure. So much pressure we, we experience. And so I had a, a lovely client, private pay. So that's really scary when you're first starting out because they're giving you actual cash. And so you better fix them fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this client was very angry, wasn't doing too well with anger at that time. And was saying to me, what do I do? I don't know what to do. What do I do? And then just staring at me, I had a panic attack and I found myself out of my chair with my hand on the door before I realized what was happening. <laughs> I was like running out of the room. Like you were <laughs> leaving. Yeah, I was just like totally leaving. Oh my gosh. And um, so the best I could do with my brain being offline was to plead diarrhea (laughs) and leave and go get myself together and come back. (laughs) Wow. I just, Um, this is, this is amazing. This is the the most authentic interview. I love it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This is real life. You're, you're sharing your real life with us. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. So you are at the door. Your client is yeah. just staring at you. And, so and I just told him I had an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went in the bathroom, you know, cold water came back. I don't even know how I finished the session, but we did. And then I uh, talked to my supervisor because I was, I was an associate at the time. She said, well, let's look at this. She was all excited that this happened. And she, we kind of looked at what kind of therapist I was being. So we hmm. discovered I was being the perfect therapist the one that had to know all the answers, the one that had to know what to tell someone to do as if we're, you know, that's not even our job. What I needed to be was the authentic therapist. And that started a path for me of really looking at who am I? I'm the great therapist for some people. I'm not a great therapist for some people. And I'm going to show up authentically. It's so much less exhausting. And this is a wonderful client, actually, who she says your client won't even know. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Sure. He knows, he knows that I'm a total fraud. I've yeah. I saw this client for years and years. Wonderful client. So he taught me so much just by oh, his wow. presence. This same client who struggled uh-huh. with the anger and was like pressuring you for yeah. answers. Yeah. And then I just shifted my stance to, I don't know, let's think about this together. Mm. I'm not sure. Let's walk through this together. Cause I'm a human walking through it with you. So I don't have to be the one to know. And I shouldn't be the one to know because it's his life. How brave of you, though, Maureen, to like shift it like that still as experiencing that initial panic and then to say, hey, I don't know, let's let's get curious about this together. Yeah, absolutely. And what a more, you know, then I can drop into my own body and just be curious rather than try to fix something that in his case was pretty intractable at the moment. So, Mm. Did you notice his anger shifting or... Well, I don't know if it shifted for him or for me as I think about it. 
because it was no longer directed at me, right? He was just angry and that's okay. And I can be curious about that too. But I was feeling like I needed to take care of that anger mm-hmm. and make it okay for him. And the facts were he's pissed off. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. You know, Right, exactly. Anger is so important. And that's, that's one of the things I really try to help my supervisees and newer therapists with, you know, we have to welcome the anger. We have to greet the anger, be okay with it and try to explore it. Like anger has a purpose. What is it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, is it your hope for something? Is it desire that something is different or that you'll finally be seen and heard if somebody like finally responds to your anger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't have to let it scare us. It's a message that the client is saying, hey, I'm trying to uh, communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the other story that goes with that, to back into your question, is so I had two supervisors at the time who were wonderful. And I, I find myself repeating their words all the time. So I was really lucky. So my other supervisor, I, I found myself... Um, she did a different specialty that was for couples and I, I mm-hmm. was pretty overwhelmed by couples and I was like, where's the worksheet? What do I do? How do I, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I would be asking her questions and she said, you know, you're going to burn out because clients would bring things to me, like, like an eating disorder would come up or an addiction or something that I wasn't trained in. And I would be like, where can I get training this weekend? Where can I? And I was trying to stay two steps ahead of my clients. And she said, you're going to burn out. You know what you know. You have skills. You have specialties. You don't have to be everything. And so that's part of, I think, why I chase modalities that excite me is that I'm not going to burn out by doing those things. And with my clients, I'm I'm still not trained in eating disorders or addiction. I I know a lot of things, but I don't want to treat it because I want to make sure they're with someone who's, you know, super trained and experienced. And so with clients that have certain issues come up, we'll get them another team member Mm -hmm. and work together with them. And that's okay. And now my weekends are mine and I get to do what I'm best at. Oh, that's such a level of growth, self-growth as well as your professional growth, right? When you realize you don't have to be everything in this capacity. Yeah. And that's, that's true for us as therapists. And also, you know, whether it's with our friends or other relationships, we can't be everything in, in each setting. And that pressure you described, you know, somebody with a, a different condition or struggle that you're not as familiar with that pressure to like, oh, I've got to learn this and be able to help that person. I see this so much with especially new therapists who've just graduated and want to do all the things for good Mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's how you learn, I guess, to figure out where you want to land, what, what niche, if that, if that's going to be your thing, but those are such beautiful experiences that you had that you shared with us like so bravely. I love that Maureen. And also that you had these supervisors you could trust. Yeah, rare. I'm I'm really grateful. And I'm grateful to the clients who challenged me. I mean, they didn't challenge me. They weren't challenging people, but I'm grateful for the experiences because I think it saved my longevity because now I can just land and be me. And I have all kinds of colleagues I can refer to if if what I do isn't right for the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I like how you say it gave you longevity. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think we're roughly about the same and we're we're still able to to work and love what we do and love serving our our clients and um it's really great. It's it's especially great when you can be excited about the work. So I guess these are some of the stories that you share with your supervisees. Mm-hmm. And really, as you describe it, it helps us be more human as therapists, which is such a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will, with um, with discernment, not those stories, but I will share other stories with clients if it makes sense, because I feel like they need to see me as a human who's not perfect. And mm-hmm. so sometimes if they're struggling with a symptom or an issue, I might talk about you know, a funny story of a struggle I've had or, um, yeah, just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean I don't grieve just because I understand it doesn't mean I still have to go through these stages just to humanize the whole thing. So I'm not up on a pedestal for them. Yes. Beautiful. Right. We're humans. We want to (laughs) normalize it. Absolutely. You, you, you talked a little bit too, Maureen, about worrying about burning out or even having experienced some of that. I wonder mm-hmm. if this would be a good time to to talk a little bit about burnout, how that how that's impacted you or how you manage it now. Like I think mm-hmm. most therapists have experienced burnout because of the intensity of our our work and the emotional capacity we hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we can find a way to kind of protect ourselves or support rather support ourselves through the work and have less burnout. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious for you, what your experience has been. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I have definitely been in burnout. It's an interesting job because when you don't work, you don't get paid. So there's that tug of, well, I need to work, but I need time off. So that's an interesting challenge. Very true. So, you know, there's the simple things of like making sure I have a vacation plan, setting aside money, those kind of things. I think for me, the harder parts of burnout have been more that sort of existential place of like, there's so much pain in the world. I'm just one person. And I feel like going through the pandemic, you know, I have some sort of spiritual things that I lean on and they kind of didn't work going through all the seasons of politics and pandemic. So I've been having to recreate that. So a couple places, one is in creativity, which I think we're going to talk about. Yes. It's been very nurturing and it's very, it's helped me a lot. And then my husband helped me and we may get into this later too. My husband, five months after we got married, was in a terrible car accident and had a TBI and I became a caregiver and he's doing a lot better now, but oh, that's wow. a factor. Wow. Did you say five months after you got married? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. my gosh. He's doing um, better now. He is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank God. So um, this this would be a huge issue in your own personal life. And how how can you possibly like run a practice when you're so worried about what's going on with your yeah. husband? Yeah. So he he taught me a few things. Um, this is a windy conversation, but hopefully helpful. One, well, several things. One is that I realized so I'm an introvert and a therapist. So by the end of the day, I'm pretty done. Yes, and, I can completely relate to that. Yeah. So I have learned that I know we talked about this as the heart-centered therapist. I've mm-hmm. learned that I have to save some heart for him, right? I can't give it all to my clients. I'm heartfelt and there with them. And I watch how much client work I do because I have to save it for, for him and for other humans in my life. 
Yeah, that's so um, poetic. And no wonder you're a poet. I have to save some heart for him. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> so beautiful. Well, and he taught me because I think one one day he said to me, I think you're nicer to your clients than to me. And I had to realize Oof. that, oh, okay, I have to have a little more balance here. Mm -hmm. I also needed to let him have feelings because I wanted to fix it and prevent depression and do all the things, right? And I'm his wife and I was therapist. So he's just like, would you let me feel? And I had to realize that like, oh, he'll have feelings and then he'll take care of them himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Especially after the accident. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, creativity has been huge for me. So for me, I discovered poetry, both reading and writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I may give you some uh, books to put on your on the show notes if people want some Absolutely. nurturing well, poetry. Yes. Yeah. And then we talked about the one poem that I may read. I So my husband recovered as much as he was going to from his TBI. And then mm -hmm. last winter, he fell and hit his head again. Oh, and my goodness. I lost my mind. So we got him to a place where he was okay and he was just resting and recovering. And I ran away <laughs> to a cabin in the woods and a poem just came to me. And for me, poems just kind of write themselves and they then they tell me what I'm thinking. Um, and I, I think that artists do that as well. So. Wow. So there's the guidance, the poem kind of is birthed from you and then it guides you. Yeah. We work with trauma all the time, but, you know, just so people know the TBI is traumatic brain injury. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously you guys must have been going through a ton of recovery from the physical part of the traumatic car accident and then mm -hmm. the TBI itself and yeah. the impact yeah. that it created on you as a caregiver. You know, I know a lot of, a lot of people who may not be therapists are listening to this and have experienced caregiving in different forms. So this mm -hmm. is just such an important topic and the poem that you're going to read about, well, it's just, why don't we just have you read it, Maureen? Okay. It's called let yourself be weary. Let your body crumble to the ground and lie on the wet forest floor right here in the middle of your path. Let your skin and bones slide off your soul surrendering dreams and hopes and to-do lists into the decaying leaves and rich soil. Give yourself to roots and mushrooms. Let yourself become nurse log, molting snake, earthworm digesting dirt. Join the ants in their underground labyrinths. Sleep cozily with rabbit and fox beneath the earth. Let your weariness be the chrysalis holding your bare beating heart and soul. Rest and rest and rest. And from here, let your life renew. Breathe and wait until you have some recognition of who you have become. A little space for that to settle. Settle in our souls and our hearts. So beautiful. So that was my medicine of that very, very hard moment. Mm. Of just allowing myself to fall apart and rest. Yeah. Yes. When you said that line with the rest, I think that's in a way it's sort of jarring because who does that? Who can rest like that, especially mm -hmm. in this day and age? And to hear it through that whole beautiful poem. Thank you. For me, poetry has been a refuge of reading and then just experimenting, not everything's good, but just writing. And it's a place that I wrestle with 
the world and client challenges and um, it reflects me back to myself. Mm -hmm. And I think any kind of creativity can do that. Yeah. And was it just something you've always done writing? Like, did it come naturally to you or during this difficult time? Um, was, was that an impetus for the muse? <laughs> it is not something I've done. I started in 2018. I gathered some friends for poetry retreat just to read it because I'd never written it before. And I woke up and wrote one poem just kind of went from there. And then we went, you know, politics and COVID and all the things. Yeah. It was, it was a place to make sense of things. Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. You know, we are all risk takers if we just look at it for a minute and therapists are risk takers by sitting in the unknown all the time. Mm -hmm. And as humans, we take risks if, if we just step back a little bit. And, and that was huge to go to that poetry group and do that. And, you know, listeners since then, Maureen has actually won awards. And you'll see when you look at, at her book, I'll post the link in the show notes that she's won awards for her poetry, which congratulations. That's, that's so wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think I'm a strong believer in the things that show up in our lives are our friends if we let them be that way. And so this poetry book wasn't really born out of, you know, puppies and flowers. It was born out of struggle. And mm -hmm. oh my goodness, now I'm published, <laughs> you know? Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and that's, that's something that we deal with every day, the struggles and do, what do we see that gets born from that in our work? So it's, it's, it's a gift and it's also a huge responsibility for therapists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And somehow we have to stay present enough and centered enough to hold that for people when they can't see it. And that's a, that takes a lot of work and a lot of tending. So with this, this would be a great time because it does take a lot of work for us. And I know that you are very versed also in some of the somatic experiencing techniques and the body focus, which is kind of what this is all about, like how our creativity and our body and our stress all interact. Mm -hmm. I'd love if you could talk a little bit about what somatic experiencing is. And I know you have a really cool technique called symptom dialogue that maybe we could walk through or even do like a live example. I'm, I'm game. <laughs> Okay. Yay. <laughs> Speaking of vulnerability. We'll yeah. Okay. So I'm actually not trained in somatic experiencing. The symptom dialogue comes from the work of Arnie Mandel, who's in Oregon. And his belief is that symptoms, he calls them waking dreams. So you know how like in our dreams, we're working out something or expressing something that we normally don't in our consciousness. He feels that body symptoms are doing that for us. And I love that idea because I'm a person with a lot of body symptoms and some chronic stuff. And as I said, like they're there. So how do we make it our friend? So I love this idea and I'd be happy to, to walk you through kind of what that process looks like if you'd like to explore because stress and burnout do show up in our bodies. And so this is just another avenue to befriend what's there. Okay, let's let's go for it. I have okay. definitely some stress in my body. <laughs> okay. 
So for you, what, where does it show up in your body, your stress? Well, in terms of a physical symptom, since we're, we're talking symptoms, and this isn't, this isn't medical for the listener, this is just like we're using the word symptom. One thing I do is I tend to grind my teeth. And mm-hmm. gosh, I didn't even realize I was doing it. It seems just almost like a reflex. And now I realize that it's something that I do actually during the day as well as at night. And it's kind of crazy, right? We've talked about a lot of things, too much information, right? But I have recently gotten a night guard to try to help with that from the mm-hmm. dentist. But I know it's also definitely a stress response. Mm-hmm. Okay. A really common one too. So that's a great example. Okay. When you grind your teeth, like, is there a motion? Like, can you make a motion with your hands? I mean, I don't want you to grind your teeth, but is there a body motion you can make that emulates that, that represents it? Um, I guess maybe the image of like squeezing your hands. So it'd be, it's like a clenching feeling. Yeah. Okay. So squeezing. Okay. Perfect. So you're getting to where, yeah. So if you could give words to the direct experience of the teeth clenching, so we're not going to call it TMJ because that's a label, right? But what's Mm -hmm. the direct experiences of it? So you're saying squeezing. The direct experience in the moment, I would say tension, definitely tension, tightness. I think that's a pretty good tension. It's a little bit of hardness too. There's some Mm, hardness. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the, I think that the clenching. Great. And is there any, some people get imagery too. They might be like, it's like two rocks coming together, whatever. Like, I don't know if you have any, you don't need to. Oh, imagery. Um, well, I just, I do know, I just feel it in, you know, in the jaw area. I'm not sure I have any imagery. Not the best client right now. (laughs) No, it's quite all right. No, I think we've got something here. Okay. So I took notes. So you said there was squeezing, tension, tightness, and hardness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we believe that our bodies are expressing things inwardly that we need to express outwardly, can you think, and, and you can share as much or as little as you want to, is there any area in your life where you need to apply hardness, tension, tightness? that maybe you haven't been or squeezing. That's so interesting that I would need to put that in rather than take that out. Mm-hmm. Like, so not so much in your job, but in your business or whatever. You know? Right. Well, <laughs> oh, wow. This is really interesting. I wasn't sure if this would work. I had heard glimmers of this, but yes, I, yes, I can actually think of um, there are some boundaries, which would be maybe a harder line that I need to put in mm-hmm. some of my business. Mm-hmm. And I definitely need to kind of tighten up my organization a bit. Uh-huh. So that would be something I'm, I'm I'm not sure that's hard, but that's definitely like if I could tighten that up, I know I would feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's just some places to explore of like, oh, hi, John, thank you for reminding me that I need to set boundaries and then see what happens. And we don't know if the clenching will go away. Right. But we've already right. made it your friends. Now it's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm in pain all the time. But like, oh, here's this little thing that's internal that maybe I need to use externally. Wow. So you just said, Maureen, thank you, Ja, for reminding me 
Oh, that I need to set a boundary. That I need to yeah. set a boundary. Right. Like this, yeah. and this is actually deep. That's why I kind of forgot what you said, even though it was a minute uh-huh. ago, re- reminding me I need to set a boundary and befriending it because also I will notice when I'm doing it, like I beat myself up, right? Oh, I can't um, believe I'm doing this. This is so bad for me. Why can't I just like have a normal job, whatever? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're listening, whether you're a therapist or just, just listening to this, it's a very interesting that we could have an internal experience that then creates an emotional response and maybe even an, a change in our action from just looking at what is this body symptom trying to tell us. Thank then, you yeah. so much. And it just and when we change our relationship to pain, one healthcare provider once told me we can decrease our pain by at least 20% just by changing our relationship to it. Because when we have pain or symptoms, right, of clenching. Oh my gosh, here I go. My teeth are going to go bad, whatever. 10% is we're thinking about all the times it hurt before. 10% mm-hmm. is the present and 10% is the future of like, you know, having to get dentures because I clench my teeth. <laughs> and so when we change our relationship to it of um, a little signal or a friend or a message that can really decrease our stress about it, whether or not it goes away, we've already changed our relationship to it. Yes. Wow. And changing the message in this case comes with a body component, right? Which mm-hmm. that's, I think that's a big key to our work when you bring in the body as well as the mind, right? It's not just the thoughts, um, but there is wisdom in the body, like we've seen so many experts say. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to get curious. Like, Am I, do I notice that I'm clenching my jaw when a boundary has been violated? Is that my cue? Am I clenching my jaw when I'm feeling disorganized? Those were two of your examples. Wow. So the curiosity helps too. Right, right. Oh gosh. I'm going to also, of course, play this back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and of course we want to go to our medical providers and it's a good idea to have a night guard and all the things, right? So we're not saying don't you know, take care of our bodies in a medical way. (laughs) Well, right. But, you know, I've avoided it for a long time. And Mm -hmm. also even just doing this here, that's like you said, it is vulnerable to say, I do this thing, or I have this symptom, or even a pain, even for anybody to describe a pain is a, is a vulnerable thing, Mm -hmm. especially in our culture where, you know, there's a lot of expectation of health and health maintained over years that, you know, we shouldn't have, we should avoid wrinkles and, you know, all of those things that part of our human experience. Yeah. And it's so exhausting to pretend we're not, we're not human. Mm, Right. Well, thank you for doing that symptom dialogue. I love it. I can see willingness to to play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to do this. And also it's, it's great to suggest it, you know, with your clients, like, Hey, I I don't know, but are you willing to try this out? Mm -hmm. You know, the willingness to play the willingness to be curious when we can bring that kind of energy into the room, it makes it so much safer for our clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was hoping you would also do another 
exercise or technique for calming, just because I think you have a gift of describing these and it can really help therapists looking for something else. But this is also so helpful for the therapist or the listener to do for themselves to calm themselves Mm -hmm. in this world rampant with anxiety. So that would be amazing, Maureen. Oh, certainly. So you want me to tell you about the polyvagal exercise? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I am not an expert in the polyvagal nerve, but the, so this is a nerve that runs through our whole body and it, it helps to turning on, I believe that turning on the nerve calms the whole body. There's an entire book about this that I got this exercise from, and I will give it to Cindy for the show notes. Um, oh, sure. I read the whole book. I don't understand it because it's all written in medical ease. So I'm going to save you the time and just tell you the, the exercise that turns on the polyvagal nerve. Exactly. And and this is this is what I love is that we do not have to be experts, right? Maureen and I just said we don't know the exact science behind this. You know what? Our clients don't even really want to know all the time the exact science. They just want the help. Yeah. And you know, it is great to understand the science and the neurobiology and that is, there's a time and a place for that, but there's also just that willingness to be open to try something new. Thank you. Yeah. And what we do know though, is that toning the polyvagal nerve, it calms our nervous system. It turns on creativity it it regulates sexual desire, like all the good stuff in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So this is how the polyvagal, calming the polyvagal nerve turns on creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And then wow. it's, you know, it's kind of a lovely vicious circle, right? Like we feel more creative, we act more creative, we're less burned out, we're less stressed. And so this is a really quick 40 second, yeah, 40 second exercise to tone the polyvagal nerve. Other ways you can do it are singing, bilateral stuff. So tapping the sides of your body, there's all kinds of stuff. But there's a little video of this exercise on my website under resources if people want to follow the video. But essentially what we're doing is we're going to lock our hands together and put them behind our heads as if, so imagine like an executive sitting at their, with their feet on the desk, with their hands behind their head. It's that motion. Okay. So so, you interlace your fingers and put your hands behind your head. Mm -hmm. So they're half, like they're half holding the bottom of your head and half on your neck. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to look one direction. So we'll just pick right. So just slide your eyes to the right, keep your head still. Um, And you don't have to strain, just a little bit to the right. And you just hold that position for 20 seconds or until you feel a shift. Mm -hmm. And the shift might be a swallow. It might be a sigh. I experience it as a drop into my body a little bit. That if you don't notice anything, because it's very subtle, after 20 seconds, bring your eyes back to center. Mm -hmm. And then you do the same thing on the left side. And you kind of have to practice it a few times to really notice what it does. But it's a lovely way to just soothe yourself in 40 seconds. And for those of us that have 10 minutes between clients, we have 40 seconds. Right. Which we so often don't use very well for good reason, because we're just on the go. Yes. So hopefully nobody was driving while they were practicing this, but (laughs) it's great for in traffic. I'm sure if you're just stuck for a time, if you're stopped, I definitely tried this when I saw it earlier and, and did notice a little shift. And also 
there's a sense of opening too, because of that kind of more open posture of having your hands behind your head, mm-hmm. um, you know, more like a heart, heart opening type mm-hmm. of, I don't know, chakra or whatever. So yeah. that seems to also stir something in combination with the eye movement is the eye movement is that stimulating something bilaterally i would imagine so i mean being an emdr therapist that makes sense to me that way and again i'll put i'll give you the link to the book yeah. if you want. i'm curious what when you said you felt a little shift for you is that that feeling of opening or because sometimes it helps to have people identify help them identify when something's happening right it was there was definitely a a slight reduction in anxiety when I did it Mm -hmm. and a little bit of opening. And I really did not feel as threatened by doing it. Sometimes certain somatic things just seem a little threatening or Mm off-putting or something. And Mm -hmm. I found that this one seemed to seem to be okay and kind of made sense. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones too, that if you repeat it, it happens faster and deeper the more you do Mm. it. Yeah. What I liked about it too, was that the eyes lingered instead of, of like with the EMDR following, there was something different about having the eyes linger for the 20 Mm -hmm. seconds Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. And without getting into the weeds of EMDR, that makes sense to me because the there's, we can choose different speeds in EMDR for different things. Oh, okay. So that's an interesting observation. Mm. Lovely. That's so great. I'll be curious what any of our listeners think about those two somatic exercises. And if you try it with yourself or with your clients, let us know. So we have a little bit of time left and I would love to maybe talk a little bit more about being a therapist and a human on the caregiving journey, the caregiving journey that you've been on mm-hmm. um, with your husband or or with your own chronic health conditions. If you wanted to speak a little bit about that. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I'm sort of a caregiver to myself with my own health stuff. And, you know, my husband, like I said, is doing better, but there were several years. Uh, he was off work for a year and there's just a lot of rehab. He's a professor. So you can imagine trying to mm. get back to that, which he's doing now. One of the pieces of advice that I got, so it's, it, you know, it's hard to be a therapist and be, have your attention pulled other places. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about that experience for you, Maureen. It was tricky. We relied a lot on community. So thankfully my husband's an extrovert. So he has a lot of friends. So I did a lot of coordinating, like I needed to see clients and he needed rides because he couldn't drive for a while. Mm. So I did a lot of coordinating. So just pulling in all the resources I could, as I mentioned, I needed to learn to trust him, to trust him to have his feelings and get through them. Because as a therapist, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be depressed. And then this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And I I need to watch. Oh my gosh, she's upset. You know? Right. Um, Do you find yourself asking questions or like checking, overly checking in when Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was so obnoxious. (laughs) And so he, he got upset with me and he's like, could you please let me feel? And I'm like, he's grieving. What am I doing? And I'm stopping his process. Hmm. Um, Because we don't like to watch people we love suffer. Um, exactly. So, exactly. You know, trusting his healing process, trusting that people would help. One of my supervisors was going through something herself. And I said, How do you how do you do that? Because it was a big thing. And she said, Well, therapy is a really good compartmentalization. 
And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. So if I could really land in my own body and in my own moment Mm -hmm. with clients, how wonderful. It gives me a break. So thinking of work actually as helpful rather than something else I have to do was very helpful. That's, That's a really good point. It can be healthy as a compartmentalization when you need it versus mm-hmm. when it takes over. He also, I know this is about being a therapist, but he leaned into creativity also. So he, years later, he wrote a book about his experience. Wow. Um, so he has that out and he, so we know how as, as therapists, and I had to let him do it because I'm not a therapist, I'm his wife. He made meaning of his experience by writing this book and mm-hmm. um, making that available to other TBI survivors. So it was a gift to watch that and lean into, you know, letting him have that experience without me directing it. Um, That makes sense, right? Because that's in a way a reflex. We do direct our clients' experiences a little bit to help mm them. Right. And we can't do that with our partners. Yeah. Those are kind of the main things. And then just making sure, you know, I'm really lucky because I'm in private practice. So looking at what, you know, my hours, my type of clients, um, all the things that I have the privilege of being able to control Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that I am not burning out, that I am giving to myself. And then I'm also very lucky because as you mentioned with nature, I live on, on one side of my home is a miles and miles of park with waterfalls and another side of my home is miles and miles of park like on a little mountain every day every single day I'm in nature even if I don't feel like it so that makes a big difference oh that's beautiful and then a lot of my poetry as I as I think you were alluding to is kind of about like we sort of go talk to nature and a poem comes out Mm -hmm. and it makes a difference Mm -hmm. Um, So it may or may not be a good poem, but I'm in dialogue with something bigger than me. And that makes a big difference. I see. And is that part of the shift that you said earlier, your prior spirituality and and things that were helping before the pandemic, and now you're in dialogue with something bigger than you every time you're in nature? Yeah. And I don't know what that is yet, but Mm -hmm. I'm in dialogue with it and that helps. And another thing that I do that may be a good tip for folks. So when I'm in session in my office, I have three candles Mm. and they represent me, my client and something bigger, whatever that is. So it doesn't matter to me if it's religious, higher power, the modality I'm using, whatever. But it's just to remind myself that I'm a piece of it. And my client is a competent human being and something else is holding us whatever a person's belief system is. So I have that going in my office just to remind me at the end of the day, I blow it out. They're electric, but you know, um, just to like kind of release my clients back to themselves, back to whatever their resources are so that I'm not carrying them. And sometimes I do the same. If I'm going through a hard time, I'll light a candle for that, kind of set that candle aside and know that I'll come back to it. It's okay. I've acknowledged it and I'm now here with my client and that kind of helps too. Wow, Maureen, I love that. The the three candles. That's so that's so beautiful. What a great practice for yourself for modeling it for the client and bringing that third kind of unknown mm-hmm. force. And if I'm in heavy caregiving, I just sort of shift the meaning of the candles of like, okay, 
I'm, I can't do anything about my husband or the next doctor's appointment or whatever. So I'm just sort of turning it over. I'm lighting this candle and now I'm going to do what's in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you include yourself as one of the candles. I was Mm -hmm. just listening to a different podcast and I heard this great response where if you ignore the therapist, you're ignoring the humanity of the other person in the room. Right. Yeah. And this is this, you created this candle practice and it's the same thing, right? To not ignore any of the humanity, you, the client, or some Mm -hmm. other source or energy. That's, Mm -hmm. that's great. I love that. I think we should call that a great place to stop for now, because I know I'm going to have you back on this podcast. There's so (laughs) much we can talk about. We're very similar. We both have extroverted husbands and are introverted. So we could talk about a number of things. Two quick questions. So just kind of very spontaneous. One is speaking from the heart because we're heart-centered therapists. What's one thing that you would love to tell a client? One thing that you typically tell a client, just whatever comes to mind. Hmm. This is, I'll just tell you the first thing that popped into my head Yeah, is that because I do a lot of anxiety work. So people will call me and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so broken, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm like on an intake and I'll say, I love working with anxiety because people who run, I said, those of us, right? So I'm human, humanizing mm-hmm. both of us. Those of us that run anxious are really smart and really creative. And we just need to harness that creativity and that smartness um, for our good. And it just makes people feel like, wow, you're like, this is a superpower too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so how do we harness that? And I feel like that's like the beginning of a lovely journey. Oh yes. Your clients are so lucky to have you. I just feel that that's beautiful. Okay. And question number two, speaking from the heart, what's one thing you would say to a therapist? So many things I would say to a therapist. Yeah. I'm just going to say whatever pops in my head right now. So what's popping in my head is like, be brave. Like you can't, you know, trust yourself, try what comes up. You know, if you goof, you'll repair it, but just show up. It's okay. Our clients existed before us. They will exist after us. So we're not responsible for every aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, We will make a huge impact. And that's why I have the candles is because there's all kinds of factors in the client's lives. And it's my joy and my honor to show up as I do, but I don't have to take them home with me at night. They'll be okay. Mm. They're a little less fragile than we think. Yeah, I love that. What a gift. Maureen, I just want to thank you so much. It's been an honor for me to have you here and to learn a little bit about myself that you helped me with the somatic exercise and to just get to hear your poem. I know other people will be interested in learning more about you and your practice. You have a lot of resources on your website. And so people can check that out. And it's just been really such a privilege and a pleasure to meet you and spend this time together. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure too. I'm so glad we got to meet in person and and get to do this. Yeah. And enjoy your time in that beautiful nature later today. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. 
It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.